Hello, how are you? Thanks for taking the time to come and listen to um, the Keep It Renal podcast. I've got a massive treat for you today. You're going to be hearing my interview with Jeremy Hughes. I first came across Jeremy when I'd only been a PhD student for about a year at a conference and I was just taken, just completely blown away by the questions Jeremy would ask people at conferences. As a research scientist, often you're very knowledgeable but in a very particular area um, and I certainly find my drop-off is like, you know, on a knife edge. I know a very, I know a lot about a really tiny, tiny amount of things. Jeremy knows a lot about a lot. Um, the questions he asks at conferences, the help he'll come and give scientists and clinicians of all levels after the conferences is, is just astounding. Um, so I took the time to talk to Jeremy about how life has been for him um, over the last year. And as you'll hear in the interview, he has many roles within the, the world of kidneys and all things research. It's really great to hear from Jeremy his level of optimism for the future and just how he's able to take the positives out of what has quite clearly been a, a very rough year for all of us. Um, I found talking to Jeremy absolutely fantastic. I certainly came away from talking to him with a renewed enthusiasm and vigour. Um, so I hope you enjoy hearing what he has to say and I will see you on the other side. So, um, so I'm Jeremy Hughes. Um, the, I've got the, the pleasure and uh, uh, privilege of being the current chair of Kidney Research UK. Um, and I suppose I'm a man of many hats, really. Maybe some would say too many hats. So one of the key ones for this is certainly the current chair of the Board of Trustees of the charity. But I'm based in Edinburgh. So I'm an academic kidney doctor here in the university. And therefore, I do clinical work, clinics on call, etc., I do a lot of education, so I run a, a Bachelor in Medical Science program in Health Sciences, which covers primary care, surgery, and medicine, and I run a course within that. And I'm also the, the director of Year 3 of the medical school, so all medical students in Edinburgh do a degree, and therefore I'm involved in advising them and organising them and then uh, trying to sort things out if things aren't working very well. But again, that's uh, an admin load. And of course, I do research, yeah. and I started off very much as a researcher. That's what took me into renal and uh, took me into the lab. And I do less in the lab, that's for sure. But I certainly love being in the lab meeting every week. And we've got some great folk that do research here. So research is still active, although, of course, that's been difficult in recent times. And then I've also got some other hats. I'm Director of Education for the Royal College of Education of Edinburgh here. So lots of various hats. And, of course, everything got quite difficult over the last year. I think each one of those roles probably came with a barrage of, of challenges. So if we just think back to probably a little over a year ago, sort of end of February, March last year, how did you see this crisis emerging and how did your life change and how did your priorities change? I mean, everything changed fundamentally. Uh, nothing has been the same. Everything has actually changed probably continually. I mean, one of the things you learn now is that, you know, the way we're going to do things next week is not how we're doing it now. And yeah. so there was just a huge increase in the number of uh, meetings, um, things that were coming in from e email to read, whether it's the COVID speed on the clinical front or it's educational meetings regarding taking everything on online to being virtual, to how do we run examinations, how do we teach medical students, what is actually a... You know, uh, you have to actually see patients to be able to, te to teach. Yeah. Um, and yeah. therefore, that became very difficult. So it was just everything imploded. But 
I think the thing that for me is a big memory of, of the last 12 months actually is the fact that everybody got stuck in. So no matter which domain you were in, whether it was you know, clinical or education or university or research, everybody actually got stuck in to try and actually do it the right way, keep people safe, but actually try and get the job done as well. But yeah. there was tremendous fallout, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose particularly with, you know, we, well, I suppose it's the same for us sort of sitting in biochemistry and medicine. that They're very hands-on things to learn and quite difficult things to do at a distance, which is obviously what we needed to do as educational facilities. The lab just shut down for a while. And yeah. obviously researchers who were clinically trained went back to doing research. Some of them carried on yeah. with the vaccination program and took part in some of the, the vaccination trials. And then slowly the, the university tried to put in place a way of operating that yeah. was safe, which meant that the footfall in the university building was down, offices were shut, and you had to go in there, do your job, and then leave. So, I mean, there was a bit of a um, tick over. Part of the difficulty, I suppose, Carl, was the fact that obviously there's lots of kidney research going on. But the priority over the last 12 months has been entirely COVID, quite rightly, because it's, a, you know, it's been a dreadful, dreadful pandemic. And so a lot of the research that was non-COVID kind of ground to a halt. Then people sort of moved into, into COVID-19 research. But again, I think the key thing there, certainly in Edinburgh, um, there was just an explosion of research. Now, at yeah. every single level, whether it was a, a Muran model of lung disease or some new antiviral or it was a clinic study what to do with imaging now people just seem to pivot and yeah. use their brains their intellect and their their minds to really try and understand the disease and then devise research that might answer some important questions so that was also an amazing i mean the, you know, the, i think i suppose the public have had a huge education about science yeah uh, which in the long term is going to be a good thing because you know if you want to tell somebody what science does you say, well, think back to COVID. Um, and then actually you think about the fact they've been trying to repurpose drugs, trying to find new therapies. They've actually devised a vaccine, which is basically, as you know, called fundamental science. Yeah. They've actually even got a new type of vaccine, the mRNA vaccine, yeah. a new breed of vaccine. And also they've actually used the NHS and clinical trials in this amazing way with the recovery trial to find therapies. And yeah. the therapies are... Cheap and cheerful, dexamethasone saves lives. Yeah, yeah. IL-6 blockers. So I think you know, there's a huge amount of that we need to learn from that, which is about, you know, again, taking science, doing important things, and then actually translating that through really good clinical trials to see whether we get a benefit. And the thing I like about it is the fact that not only does it find out things that are good, but again, clinical trials tell you what doesn't work. Yeah. You drop it. So, you know, um, hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. Drop it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's been a tremendous learning curve, and certainly the medical students here, I tried to link all of my lectures to COVID, whether it was to do with macrophages or, uh, you know, big data or RNA-seq. There's always a paper coming out or a preprint that had some really exciting scientific insights into what was happening that may have you know, relevance for patients. And so I think medical students, even though they, they took a hit because they weren't on the wards and they were having teaching online, they couldn't come to Edinburgh, I still think that within their experience this year, they've learned a huge amount about, you know, what it's all about. Yeah. What, well, I, how I guess, them works. Yeah, I guess they'll learn a lot about resilience, transfer of skills, applying your knowledge. Like you say about the research, sort of applying yeah. in one field to another field. I mean, if you, if you 
sort of isolate the the human side of the pandemic actually it's been a brilliant time for science and yeah. i think i think once this is all settled we need to start selling bumper stickers that are saying something like you know scientists are for life not just for pandemics <laughs> i do like that that's good <laughs> <laughs> we're always here beavering away and um i suppose it doesn't always get out there but yeah the si- the science has been and the scientific community i think have, have really really come together and really shown what we what we do in the darkness of the lamps yeah and, and it's it's about i mean i think the other thing is 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 international isn't it i mean um i mean there's obviously the issue with vaccines and people being a bit territorial over things and the fact that we're not all safe until we're all safe. Yeah. Um, but there's the issue about international collaboration, and that's been really good as well, the fact that we're joining together. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll come to it, but one of the, the studies funded by the charity, the Protect V study, I mean, if you look at that, that is you know, perfect in the sense that there's a very old drug that's been around for 40 years, niclosamide. And in a Korean lab, they actually used a whole panel of drugs just to screen for whether there were some drugs that had some effect upon the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And lo and behold, there's this really old, cheap drug um, that's actually used to fight uh, tapeworm infections. It's been around for a long time. Actually, it's very effective. It really yeah. is very good at stopping the virus getting in and killing it. And then actually, that's sort of been brought to the, the UK. So now within the NHS, uh, we've now got you know the Protect V trial, which is simply actually having this drug as a spray up your nose. So it's not a curative or... Uh, treatment is a prophylactic and again we're now in the in situation where we have vaccinations and we are unsure as to whether people are going to respond appropriately so again the fact that we've got this little drug which may make an impact upon either preventing infections or potentially making them less severe but again this is this all came out of work done in labs across the globe yeah, so we yeah. all joined up and i think actually everyone everybody feels now i think the world's a little bit smaller i mean it's always been a small place but actually, it is a little bit smaller when you've got these big threats. And as you say, the trick is to try and capture that and then really use it to address the big health challenges we have at the moment. There are many of them, as you know. Yeah, and I think science, you know, medical science and, and well, and academia, I suppose, in general, I, I feel like we're actually teaching the public how we work and how you can attack the data without attacking the person as long as you do it in a sort of rigorous and yeah you know academic way um and that that can be collaborative rather than sort of um you know accusational and 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 full of conflict like in the world of politics actually it can be more collaborative that you can criticize something if you're bringing a solution or it's a it's a valid criticism there has been some bad science um in the sense that you know with the the advent of the preprint, which has been around for a long time, but certainly in mm. COVID, it was so important to get papers out there before they'd undergone that rigorous peer review um, to really dot I's and cross T's. And I think because of that, actually, there were some, some some bad papers, and there were papers that were retracted from very high impact journals like the New England Journal of Medicine. Yeah. Um, and that actually reflects badly. And again, there's this big issue with the public now, isn't there, about trust and trust in scientists. Um, we know about trust in politicians and you know journalists and, and other folk, but if trust in science becomes eroded through these examples of you know bad science or scientific fraud, that will be to the detriment of all of us. Yeah. yeah. Again, we've got to be watchful about that. And that's where again we have to make sure that we keep our house in order. And then when things are wrong, they're called out and there there's there are retractions because there has been some bad stuff um, yeah. in the in the preprint world, but a lot of great stuff as well.
Well, you're right to point out about preprints, actually, because I think sometimes you you take for granted that, you know, if you've been trained in a certain way, you read a preprint with a certain amount of caution. Um, but if that's going through the media, maybe that caution isn't necessarily um, reflected in the way that data is presented. Um, so maybe that's maybe I think there's probably lots of lessons we can learn about things as, as a community. We need to communicate better. Um, but it's definitely about sort of taking the positives from what's been a rough time. Yeah. And I suppose you know, we also know that our kidney patients are fed badly. Um, and, and that's something that we need to talk more about because we know that our patients fare badly anyway because of the yeah. cardiovascular risks that they have if they've got CKD or on dialysis or they have you know, protein in the urine, they're at increased risk. Um, and it's just, again, again, the fact we find that, you know, a lot of our patients have um, had a very hard time because of either their disease or because of the immunosuppression they've taken for their conditions. Yeah. So again, I think again, after this, again, we need to make sure that we get back to saying kidney disease really needs to have high quality research because we need to do better for patients. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, moving on to that, how did your, um, how did your sort of clinical commitments change, uh, and despite probably increasing demand from your academic role? So I think, like many other hospitals, we we went to initially we had COVID wards. So I think I was the first consultant to to be on the COVID ward. <laughs> right. Um, um, and that was a steep learning curve for me because I, became, I basically became a chest doctor because wow. um, everything is you know, hypoxia, lung disease. Um, and again, one of the things we were keen on here is recruiting for the recovery trial. So I think we were just recruiting patients all the time uh, because it's a fantastic trial. Even if there's a particular arm of the trial that patients you know, shouldn't be recruited to, they can be randomized to other arms. So right. there are lots of um, nurses that have been moved from other trials to the COVID wards and they were recruiting for recovery. Um, and it was very challenging because it wasn't just a different type of medicine, um, which you, you pick up. I mean, we, we learned fairly quickly, but it was a complicated <laughs> condition with the, the fact they had this a pro-coagulant state and yeah. the, the, the proning. So we had people swimming they're on their fronts in the bed. So lots of you know, learning, literally, we were learning every single week and avidly consuming sort of online webinars about COVID. But it was really difficult because of the fact that the hospital became like a prison. Right. You know, patients weren't able to see family unless they were lucky and they had phones or they were well enough to use the phones. Yeah. Um, and, patient, and people couldn't visit. So that was all a challenge. So you'd spend your morning on the ward round seeing all the patients. And then often in the afternoon, you would spend time ringing up um, the relatives to just explain you know, how people how people were doing. So yeah. from that kind of you know we're not used to that. We we're used to kind of meeting you know, family on the ward or um, not just having to have this conversation on a daily basis with them. So that was, yeah. was a real challenge, I think. Yeah, and and I suppose as well, a lot of your experience with delivering and explaining tricky news would be face to face more so than on the yes. Front. Yeah, I mean that's the way we would want to do it. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, as ever, people are very resilient and people just accepted that this was the case. I think only it's now in retrospect that we realise just what a dreadful time that was and how you know, people were just so isolated and separated from their loved ones. I mean, that was just very difficult, I think. But everyone's had a bad time, really. You know, mm -hmm. it, parents, they've not been able to see you've been unwell or 
you know, what have you, the, the, the social isolation. You know, I, I think I said previously on my podcast, I did think of myself as being somewhat introverted, but not, not this introverted, you know. <laughs> I don't need, mm. don't need much time to myself. Um, well, I can tell you that my, so my mother-in-law, Beryl, she, on Sunday, she managed to have a lateral flow test and had access to the care home to see her husband, Arthur, for the first wow. time in many, many months. Wow. PPE. She held his hand, and that was wow. on Sunday. It was their 62nd wedding anniversary. Wow! Um, oh, what, a time, what a time for them to get to do that. And before yeah. that, it was just it was just waving through a window. Uh, they didn't really have a, a garden facility in, in this home, <laughs> so it's just been so. Yeah, so so things are getting better. Uh, no, they are. Um, they are. We, we, we've got a long way to go, but there is um, some s- uh, sun peeping through the clouds. But we just got to keep our our foot on the floor and be very watchful. I noticed within the university there are decisions that normally would have been taken after a, a series of meetings over months that actually we were just taking the plunge a little bit quicker. Um, I don't know if you I don't know if you have any ideas of how how medicine might change for the better given given some of the experiences we've had. I think yeah, people have had to be very innovative. So certainly in terms of teaching, I mean the course that I run. Um, we took it completely virtual. So it was a sharp learning curve of having to use the software, record lectures in advance. They had to be subtitled. Uh, you had to have breakout rooms. So ordinarily, you'd just be meeting people, talking and giving a lecture and having a discussion. So lots of new things. But having said that, I think next year, um, and when we get out of this, we will probably use them. They are, it is quite good to have online material. People can see a, a lecture in advance and you can have a seminar about it. Um, so lots of things I think we're going to be using in terms of education, which have been beneficial. And actually, the students are fine with it. I think what they what they disliked is the lack of face-to-face teaching in some shape or form. I think they're perfectly okay if there's a hybrid system with some online material, but if that's backed up with face-to-face seminars, tutorials, discussions, those kinds of things. And certainly the medical students on the ward, I mean, they've been hard hit because um, they've had limited access to patients. But I think what that has done is actually it's sharpened their appetite. So when they are on the ward, they are certainly making the most of it. Um, yeah. They now join us on our weekends on call, and they're very keen to see as much as they can because you know they've realised actually that some things have been taken away because of COVID. So I hope that lasts, that enthusiasm to try and learn as much as you can whenever you get the opportunity. I think that's really important because, you know, Otherwise, you just drift along, don't you? And you don't take up those opportunities as best you can. And that applies to students or scientists or, or doctors. Um, and the other big change, Carl, which you probably had, is just the virtual meeting, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the usual um, Zoom or Teams uh, with people having filters on or being on mute. Um, yeah. yeah. Lockdown yeah, yeah. haircuts. Yeah. That, that's here to stay, I think. I think virtual yeah. meetings have been very helpful. So our lab meeting is virtual, which is great because it means actually we haven't got to be in a particular room in a building. Yeah. You can be across in the ward. Somebody can be away. Uh, you could be in the lab doing an experiment. Um, you know, you can be, yeah. and you can be in the meeting. So there are some things that are going to stay. And again, it just gives you that ability to have a quick meeting. Yeah. It's impossible to say, oh, can we have a quick meeting for an hour to discuss something? Well, you can do that now on Teams. So yeah. that's going to be um, a good thing. The thing that I miss, I suppose, um, is I'm not really an office person, Carl. I've got an office, but I never live in it. Mm. I don't like being on my own in an office because I don't meet people. And I actually used to live and work in the coffee lounge in right. the university building. And it was great because you just interact with people. 
Yeah. Somebody be in the coffee queue and you just go and grab them because you want to have a chat or someone will come and so I've got my earphones in and my sort of my music on or something or some uh, Mozart piano sonata if I'm working. And they'll just say, hi, Jay, you know, can I have a chat? And I just found that that, that kind of interaction which has spawned so many ideas, whether it's research or asking people to do things or giving talk or something, that has all stopped. And you can't yeah. get that virtually. You have no. to actually be physically somewhere where you're mingling or in a corridor or, or something. Um, so I'll be, I'm looking forward to that coming back because I really miss that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Funny, it's funny you should mention that. Well, that's, I think that's the big thing we all miss in the lab here is just the the quick five minute chat. If you, you know, you walk past them in the lab and see they're having a go at something you've had a go at that didn't work particularly well, just say like, oh, you know, that's, that's hard to do it that way. And just that little interaction, yeah. um, it really goes, it really goes a long way. But um, <laughs> It's an incredibly efficient human interaction, actually. It's amazing yeah. how quick, how good we are at those very short little things and a lot gets done very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so hope that's what I'm looking. That's what I'm looking forward to when I go back is just sitting in the coffee lounge, do my work on my computer, and just uh, people wandering past, and they'll either grab me or I'll grab them. Imagine that it feels quite alien to think of now, doesn't it? Um, yeah, we've yeah. all uh, we've all been so so isolated, and it's really weird. So I'm actually in a room now in the university, and people wander around trying to find the room, and what they're looking for is a room with nobody in it. Yeah, <laughs> whereas normally you look for a room with people in it. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. want to be, you want to be on your own, Johnny Lonesome sitting in a corner. But yeah. now everybody wants to have a place where they can sort of. There's nobody else around. Um, yeah, it's a very alien way to behave. Um, yeah, the new normal, as they say to us. Yeah, way. it really, it really goes, it really goes against the grain. As, as I say, I, I really thought of myself as as someone who, you know, didn't mind being by myself and isolated. But it's been, it's been so nice coming back into work and talking to people I'm not related to. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that non-familial conversation very good yeah i should probably edit that out before my, uh... <laughs> i suppose i mean the one thing which is worth covering is the charity how involved have you been in sort of helping them strategize their way through this so um i mean essentially from the charity's perspective this was a real hammer blow mm. i mean it's it's like one of those tackles you see in the six nation where it, someone just comes along and just takes their feet away and you face plant. I mean, it was a real a shock to the system. Yeah. Um, and I think um, it makes you realise, actually, that, first of all, I think we're, we're a very strong charity. The governance of the charity is very robust. I mean, the team are remarkable and they're doing a fantastic job. And also, I think we've had great leadership. And again, if Sandra was here, I would be praising her because um, she has been a great leader. We've got fantastic people in the executive team at every level. Um, and a lot of them have had a really hard time in terms of, you know, the furlough and then homeschooling. And it makes you realize, actually, that there are some people who ordinarily you might not know. They might not be high profile. So, for example, Julie, who's the, the, the HR manager, fantastic mm. job trying to ensure that, you know, you're, you're looking after the staff. But there was so much to do. I mean, you have a, a drop in funding, you have um, research you can't afford, you've got to make sure you've got enough money in the bank to fund the research you're committed to. Yeah. You've got to try and understand what's happening out there to the researchers in terms of whether they're furloughed or whether they're in the lab or have they gone back to clinical. You've got uh, the angst around um, are we a financially 
liquid organization you know and and that was that was dealt with and again we've been very lucky we've got people that give their time to the charity who are just really skilled in other domains so I mean, you and I Carl you know we speak science and, and we love it but you know the bottom line for an organization comes down to cash flow yeah, and can you, can you afford to, to, to keep the lights on and we've got you know Dave Prosser and, and colleagues in the the finance and risk committee went through things with the fine Tuthcombe uh, with Anne-Marie, the financial director. So it, it, I was so impressed by you know, leadership from, from Sandra, amazing uh, people working for the charity, fantastic trustees. That, and again, with the virtual meetings, there were, there were lots of meetings, many interim meetings, just to make sure that we were actually going to get through it. Mm-hmm. And then working out then, how do we come out of it? And actually, I tell you something, I'm actually pretty excited about the future. I think that we were ch- we were changing before this happened, and we we had a plan to what we call disrupt the curve, and to grow and to bring in more money to deliver into research, and that's been hit and that will take longer to achieve. But actually, I think because we kind of set the stage for that, it's actually made us a very robust organisation, and the systems are now in place, and we had some vision about how we want to translate the science actually you know into uh, impact with patients and you know and that, I think there'll be a few things happening in the next few months that people will be very excited about because we are a different charity and we've taken the hit we've survived but I think we are strong um, and that yeah. to me gives me great hope for the future that we're going to slowly you know emerge there's going to be an economic recession I think and you know, it will take time but I think actually we do have the right vision and the right strategy to really actually make a difference and to grow in the future. So I'm optimistic, but it's, it's been a time when you really value people that ordinarily, you know, would not be high profile, but by golly, they're really important people and we are lucky to have them. A lot of people who sort of work so efficiently normally, you, you yeah. really have cause to yeah. realize how important they are. I mean, I'll give you an example, just the fact that suddenly you couldn't go to the office, you had to work at home. Yeah. There have been some organizations that would have found that a real challenge to say, okay, no one's coming in. Take the laptops and everybody works at home in a secure way. So cybersecurity, et cetera. And yeah. uh, but that happened. And that happened because it was put in place beforehand. Yeah. So well, Sandra told me last week actually that she she went to the office um to sort of make sure that would all happen. It's quite um, refreshing, isn't it, to have a chief exec being right there at, at the coal face? I don't, I don't know if there'd be many that would be quite so involved. So I feel like the charity's done an excellent job, um, you know, in terms of making uh, people who work for them or work, work on their behalf feel supported. Um, the information that's still been coming out um, through the various um, social media channels so on Twitter and Facebook from the charity, making patients feel support, supported and informed. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? They, they've had to do more with less, essentially, over the last year. And Sandra was almost apologetic that the round of fellow, fellows funding had been delayed. I think it's incredible that you're getting to the point of still funding that round and, and still having the Stony Gate Awards going forward. And yeah. you know, the, the, the research has continued, you know, through what has been a historically significant shock. Yeah. And I think it's partly because as a charity, you know, we um, you're meant to have nine to 12 months of money available to, to manage the organization if income drops. Mm. And therefore, what we do is we, we bring, bring in revenue and then we actually distribute that to do research. So because we didn't really have you know, a large reserves because 
that's the way that charities work, that made it very difficult for us. So the cash flow became a really acute problem. Um, and as ever, everything stops with money. If you don't have the money, then you can't fund the research. But there's been this absolute um, focus on, first of all, making sure that we are viable. And secondly, making sure that all the staff are cared for and that we're communicating with patients and supporters. And then thirdly, it's about, you know, okay, right, we are going to be here you know, tomorrow and next year. Right, mm -hmm. let's actually grow aware of this. Let's get stronger. And, and in general, as you know, uh, uh, Carl, you know, people often can come out of adversity stronger. Yeah. Um, and I think in the charity, you know, the trustee board, um, all the committees, I think the staff, I actually think that we will come out of this stronger. And it also makes you realize, you know, you can't take things for granted. You know, everybody assumes no. that the charity will be here forever. Yeah. You now people, people assume it, don't they? But actually, yeah. we know that high street shops are disappearing. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, economic downturns can have a big impact upon charities. And this is what I've said in other things, that people, this is a time when charities need support because yeah. there, there are many charities, not just um, us, that are going through terrible times, terrible times, and you no know, charities are closing. Yeah. And all the research charities have been hit, whether it's Diabetes UK, I mean, even the BHF have been hit with reduction from their retail shops, et cetera. So yeah. it is a time when, you know, if people can support our charities, and we know that many people have been really economically hit by this COVID pandemic, but if people can, then please support the charities because this is when they need you. Yeah. I think that's a really good message. And I think you've been uh, really nice and optimistic there and a good sort of antidote to a lot of the, the doom and gloom that's out there. Yeah, well, we, we know that, you know, the, the renal scientists are still there. Um, I don't think we've lost them. The fellows will still come through. People still have great ideas. Um, we're all communicating with each other and therefore there's going to be opportunities to do great things. But as ever, it does take, it does take funding. And if you have the funding, then you can make the magic happen. Yeah. Um, and that's down to people in the lab and doing the clinical trials, et cetera. People like you, Carl. Well, You've got to make the magic happen. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, one question we like to finish on for everyone is, and I don't suppose you've had much spare time recently, but if you do get any, what, what do you like to get up to? Oh, I tell you, I just love to be uh, by the sea. Right. So, and so I can go to Portobello in uh, Edinburgh. There's a, a little beach there. But East Lothian has just got some lovely beaches. And um, when I am allowed to travel outside uh, my, local, my local authority area, I'm going to just enjoy going to the beach and having a walk and hearing the waves. Um, mm. And then having maybe some cheeky fish and chips somewhere. That, that sounds nice. nice. Not that far away, I don't think. Oh, yeah. It, it'll, it'll be here. But yeah, that's, that's what I love to do. I don't take anything for granted. I, I never have really. I've always enjoyed every day. And you always, you know, you try and leave people a little bit happier than when you left them and enjoy the interactions. But this has really made it true now that you've got to enjoy your family and your friends and you've got to value those relationships and you've got to try and just give a little bit because um, we've lost so much. The funding makes the magic happen. That's definitely going to be the um, takeaway quote for me from today's interview with Jeremy. Um, brilliant. Absolutely fantastic to talk to Jeremy. Um, and I'm really looking forward to a time when we can get back to, to going to our big national meetings or even smaller meetings and just getting to just getting to chat with each other. Jeremy's absolutely right. It's the sort of spontaneous little chats and just sort of 
keeping in contact with each other as scientists, knowing what each other's doing and just letting those ideas sort of fizzle and spark and picking up inspiration from each other. Um, and I think as a country, we've all done quite well adjusting to using Microsoft Teams and Zoom and whatever. And they have been good solutions, but they just you can't quite replicate um, that spontaneity. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing Jeremy uh, again soon. Um, as I say, um, when I was first a PhD student, you could sort of pick up um, what people's research interests were based on the questions they would ask people after uh, we'd all sit in the same lecture. Jeremy's breadth of knowledge is so vast and wide that from the questions he asks people at these meetings, you would never pick up what, what he does. You know, most of us know a lot about a little and Jeremy as I said in the beginning he knows a lot about a lot um, and, and is, is a massive source of help to all of us so yeah it was absolutely fantastic to talk to him um, and you know he put, really put me on a high for a good, good couple of days after having spoke to him so thank you very much for that Jeremy um, as ever please do get in touch if you have any thoughts queries comments or anything you'd like to talk to the, the podcast team about um, additionally if there's any episodes that we haven't really covered as yet that you think if there are any topics we haven't really covered yet that you'd like us to investigate for you then please do get in touch and you can do this at any time using our twitter handle which is at keep it renal um, or our facebook page which is the keep it renal podcast um, and in the meantime do take care i hope you enjoy the weather that is definitely getting better now and hopefully we stay on the tractor slowly unlocking the lockdown and getting back to a normal that is less like the new normal and more like the old normal the normal normal all right take care